What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode five of Dad College. Dave, we're back. We're back. Episode five. Indeed. This is becoming a slightly regular show again. <laughs> yes. We I just want to pat myself on the back <laughs> and pat you on the back. Thank you. For getting two episodes out in what? A month. Yeah. Hey, that's better than what we were doing. But enough about us. Well, actually, probably more about us. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing all right. Taking a little vacation this week, so it's been good to recharge the batteries and hang out with the family. How about you? Uh, I'm good. I, uh, I am in the, the uh, unusual position, or, or should I say um, not-so-common position, of waiting to hear back after a third job interview. Hmm. So, so third's got to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I would hope so. The first two <laughs> went really well, and the second one went, went went well enough that they decided to say, "Hey, we have another job that we think would be even better for you." So that's what the third interview was was for this other position. And now I just have to wait and see. So I'm I'm hopeful yet um, slightly terrified understandable which is you know kind of a weird emotions to be to be having but you know it's good and we'll see what happens hopefully sooner than later and then that will dictate whether i'm happy or not (laughs) for a while anyways but this is episode five of dad college and we should talk about dad things okay um my father-in-law has been here all week how's that been uh, it's so just great. your father-in-law. Yeah. Okay. So my, both of my in-laws were here like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. They go to a camp in Colorado and they live in Illinois and we live in Kansas. So they stop here cause they drive cause they don't fly anywhere. Okay. Uh, well my, my father-in-law doesn't fly anywhere except for the one time we went to Ireland, but I don't think he was very comfortable the entire time we were <laughs> over the ocean. Um, so they stopped here for a few days and then went to camp in Colorado and then they came back on their, you know, their drive back through and my mother-in-law wanted to go to a cousin's wedding back in the city in Chicago. So she flew back and then my father-in-law has stayed for a couple of days to help around the house and help with Kennedy and um it's been great. He he uh he put mulch down. Oh, that's nice. He trimmed my hedges. He watched my kid all day today, took her to Target and Academy, and, you know, he he can make friends with anyone, so he's just chatting up all the moms that are at Target, you know. <laughs> um, so it's been great, and it was just, it's been interesting to see him and Meredith interact without Meredith's mom around. Um, just because it's different when Unique both dynamic. parents, it, well, it's different when both parents are there, and it's, you know, and then it's different when it's just her and her mom, and it's different when it's just her and her dad and the same with my parents, you know, it's each of the three combos, you know, alone with mom, alone with dad or with both parents is always different. So it's been, I don't think I've spent this much time with just him. Mm-hmm. It's always been with both of them. Um, and so it's just been interesting to watch how he interacts with Meredith and then also with Kennedy without Mary being around. Uh, He's a good guy. He's a very, very, very good guy. And it's been great to have him around. So I felt like that was slightly related to, you know, dad stuff. Yes. 
while he may not be my biological father, he certainly has that role for the two most important people in my life, dad and, and grandpa. So yes, he's not listening, but thanks Larry. I appreciate everything. <laughs> um, so I guess unless there's anything else, we can dive right into our main topic for today. Okay. And our main topic is uh, a suggestion from friend and listener, Mr. Justin Crow. Mm-hmm. Hi, Justin. And um, he sent me this uh, a while ago, actually, and it's just taken us a bit to get to it. So sorry about that. Um, but he asked, uh, you know, Dave and his family have adopted, right? Uh, would be good to hear uh, from Dave regarding that. Um, he says he and his wife um, have kind of been discussing and feel the the urge to get involved with fostering on some sort of level and uh, taking steps to do so. Uh, they don't necessarily think that they're looking at adoption, but um, he feels that he's been challenged to consider, you know, what it means to be a father to someone who isn't your biological child, whether that's through adoption or through fostering or through being a father figure to somebody in a less, you know, legally official role where, you know, you're not taking custody of the child or making them legally part of your family, but still providing that father Mm -hmm. uh, figure. And when he sent me that, I thought, Oh, I bet Dave has a million thoughts on that. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what we're going to go for tonight. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. Where should we start? Uh, Well, you know what? Um, Why don't we start with the Bible? And Fair point. um, One of the verses that I think kind of sums this up very well, um, and we usually use the English Standard Version, right? The ESV? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so James one twenty seven says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unsustained from the world. Um, as I've mentioned before on our other podcast, The Masterclass, I kind of have an NIV background and that says, and that's New International Version, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Um, so I think those are kind of good words to launch off from that the church really has a responsibility to look after orphans and widows. And I think kind of the underlying piece in that is that if you were to take an orphan or you were to take a widow, uh, particularly when this verse was written, um, they would not have a source of income. They would not have a sense of being able to provide uh, for themselves. Uh, I realize that kids in foster care may not necessarily be um, an orphan. They very well may know who their parents are. Their parents may want them. Uh, But for whatever circumstance the state has declared them basically a ward of the state and that um, they can't live at home with mom or dad or mom and dad. 
And I, you know, this is something I probably should have looked up when you mentioned the uh, doing this topic, but there is truly just an incredible number of children in foster care uh, in Kansas, which is where Cam and I live. And Kansas has a relatively low population. But nationwide, uh, there are a significant number of kids in foster care. And I, I think those who deal with it day in and day out would uh, describe our foster care system as in a crisis uh, state. And I know a lot of the Christians that I'm around aren't big fans of big government and don't like to spend money on things. And I'm just going to say, without getting overly political, that, you know, one of the ways that we can fix that is for the church to step up and do what their responsibility is. Yeah, uh, real quick, real-time follow-up here. According to Kansas.gov, as of June 2015, so two full years ago, there were 6,517 children in foster care in Kansas. Yeah. 6,517 in Kansas, which is not one of the more populous no. states. No, and, and I think the number that's being thrown around right now is about 7,000. Which would 7, make 200. sense. So, yeah, that would be about right. So, um, I am a firm... Uh, my conviction has been, personally, that... Um, well, well, there's a couple of different things. There's There's adoption, and there's the foster care system. Um, in adoption, basically a child has, the parents no longer choose to raise that child. In foster care, like I mentioned already, the state has stepped in and basically said, for whatever reason, this child cannot be raised by their parents. Now, whether that's for a brief period of time or it is a permanent removal from that home, it is very traumatic uh, from the, for those children. So um, my wife and I, so you're going to get a lot of opinions tonight good. <laughs> from Dave O'Gare. Lots of opinions, always good. Um, my wife and I adopted our son, Wilby, uh, from the country of Haiti. Um, he will have been with us for five years come this August. So in the next couple months, August of 2017, for those of you that may be listening to this in the distant future, don't have a context. Time travelers. Um, he will be with our family for five years. After having been a part of an international adoption, um, I think there needs to be a unique situation why you would bring that child to America and to be your, be a part of your forever, what they, they refer to as your forever family, forever family when you do adoption. So uh, in Wilby's case, um, he has cerebral palsy. Um, if he were to continue to live in Haiti, um, he probably wouldn't even be able to beg to provide for himself because there's enough poverty in that country that those that don't have a disability kind of 
get precedence, get priority, which sounds like such a weird thing to say in terms of begging and asking for money over somebody like Wilby that would have a disability. The second piece with Wilby and his disability in a country like Haiti is voodoo is very real there. And so there is a belief um, when a child has a severe disability, whether it be physical or mental or both, that they are somewhat cursed or the parents did something for that child uh, to be cursed. And so Wilby kind of had a double whammy in terms of um, both being an orphan and having a significant disability. And then all that aside, there just aren't the resources to deal with a child like Wilby in Haiti. And in five years, uh, by God's grace, Wilby has gone from being confined to sitting or laying down to he can actually walk uh, standing upright since he's been here and give a lot of credit to our uh, medical system in this country. So um, in terms of international adoption, I think there needs to be a unique situation why you bring that child to this country. And I say that because I think there are so many kids in America in need of adoption, in need of being a part of uh, the foster care system and being a part of a Christian home that um, if you go internationally, I hope God has laid that on your heart or you see a specific need versus just defaulting to that without really taking a look at the needs in this country. So I've kind of rambled on here. Any thoughts, any questions at this point? I know I'm kind of... Yeah, so I guess my thoughts on like where you would look to adopt whether it's international or, you know, domestic. I guess my thoughts are a little uh, looser in that I just see it as a kid's getting adopted. I would, and that's a win. Absolutely. Um, and if you're, you know, if, if, you know, some people are just set on, we want to adopt from this country because of, X, Y, and Z. Um, I know for a long time, Mer- when, while we were discussing adoption, and that still might happen, Meredith really, really wanted to adopt from Ethiopia because we've both been there twice. And my thought was like, yeah, we have a connection with one village, but there, you know, and my thought was there are kids here that we could adopt. And it would be a lot easier and a lot cheaper. And I realized those aren't like emotional. <laughs> Yeah, you know decisions, um, so they may come across as insensitive when you're discussing, you know, the poorest of the poor, whether it be in Haiti or Liberia or you know somewhere in Indonesia. Um, but I, I, I guess I would just say, if you're going to adopt, I don't really care where you do it from, just because. A kid is a kid's getting adopted, and and I guess in yes, in concept, I absolutely yeah. agree with you. My my small caveat would be at least research adopting locally, locally uh-huh. first. That would be my just my first sort of, and I and, and I'll say that 
Melissa and I are probably guilty of this, and if not Melissa, definitely me, uh, my wife being Melissa, is that I think there's this idea of adopting internationally kind of gets romanticized. Mm -hmm. There's something... And there's nothing romantic about just going and adopting a kid from the inner city. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, that that is the case, I would agree. And so um, that, I guess, is my caveat, is that I would never, I would never discourage anybody from any kind of adoption, but I would say, please feel a call towards an international. And when I say call, um, I don't even want to over-spiritualize that. Um, I think there's something valid in what you said of wanting to adopt a child from Ethiopia because you have a connection with Ethiopia. Uh-huh. I, I think even that is, is a valid, but to do it without some researcher looking at stateside, I think you'd just be just amazed at the number of kids because there are so many um, needing to be adopted. Yeah. And how long was the process for, for, I know it was a long time, but how, from not even necessarily from like, we want to adopt to getting Wilby, but from the, we met Wilby and he like, we want Wilby. Like, sure. Cause even that was uh, not short. No. So, um, earthquake in Haiti in January of 2010. Okay. We have friends who go to Haiti on a regular basis. Um, uh, in short summary, at that particular time, she was working for a company that, uh, helped organizations in Haiti who received grants from the United States meet the requirements of those grants so they could get more grants. There's kind of this tendency of, well, we got the grant, let's use the money and let's spend it. Mm -hmm. And she would kind of go and go, no, if you meet these requirements, you may get more money. Don't just take the money and then do whatever you want. So while she was doing that, she went to a particular orphanage and they ended up adopting a brother and sister from that orphanage. And they learned about Wilby. And they would have loved to adopt Wilby, but they had already committed to this brother and sister. And uh, kind of a unique little story uh, in all this is, um, for those of you that are uh, fans of ice skating, figure skating and all that good stuff, uh, Mark, is it, is it Mark Hamilton or Mark, is that right, Mark Hamilton? See, and I'm going to put Cam on this <laughs> He's looking at me like, dude, of all of all of the sports you could have chosen, (laughs) the Winter Olympics aren't until February, man. No, he's he's Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill. Okay, that sounds right. Yes, it's Mark Hamill. So Mark Hamill also adopted a brother and sister. No, wait, hold on. Mark Hamill is the guy who plays Luke Skywalker. Yeah, no, that's not him. God, how did I not know that? Scott Hamilton. He's he's the figure skater. Scott Hamilton. Scott, Gosh. I'm so very sorry if you should happen to <laughs> stumble upon the uh, Dad College uh, podcast here. Yeah, don't get your hopes up. Okay, so Scott Hamilton adopted a brother and sister from the same orphanage as we did, and they are actually featured in a People magazine article. Because um, Scott's famous. Because Scott's famous, so... Um, we're on the internet, Dave. We can be famous. We could be. Uh, I could never do a triple sound cow, though. <laughs> well, and he's also dealt with cancer and all kinds of just crap in his life. Um, so anyway, Scott Hamilton. Scott Hamilton. Yes. Thank you. 
People Magazine. I guess we can put that on the show notes. Yep. Adopted from the same orphanage. Um, so we learned about Wilby and fell in love with him. And that was January of 2010. Had phone conversations with uh, Bobby, who runs the orphanage, and finally went down there in October of 2010. Met Wilby. Um, there's another picture of the first time that my wife held Wilby. And her eyes, to me, speak volumes of um, what actually transpired. The other thing is we, we talked about this at our church, and so we'll f- try to find a video and be able to put that in the show notes. So we learned about him January of 2010, met him in October of 2010, and we brought him home in, in August of 2012. So almost two years after meeting him. Almost two years after meeting him, but we'd told them earlier than that that we were interested in him. Um, And one of the things that I would not recommend doing that we did is we did not use an adoption agency through all this. And so actually us getting him in under two years is actually a relatively quick process. So God was very much a part of all of that and making it happen. That's nuts. Yeah. Um, and actually, Steve and Renee had started their process of getting the brother and sister before we did, and they ended up getting their kids the same week as us. So we were all down there in that same uh, time frame. So what are they telling Wilby this whole time? Do you know? I don't know. Because um, he, especially back then... Did not speak well, English. Well, but wasn't really able to communicate other than like hungry and tired pretty yeah, much pretty much and he's he's much more yeah uh able to you know voice his concerns you guys have been working on signing and mm-hmm. he doesn't speak but he can right he can let you know what he's thinking absolutely <laughs> like when i walked in today him and caroline were watching america's got talent and he was jumping up and down and dancing <laughs> with the donald trump impersonator <laughs> on the television so he's come an incredibly long way and yeah. it's amazing to see um but what if anything was was he being told about you and Melissa? Like these strange white people that keep coming to visit. Don't completely know. I do know that he understood that we wanted to be his mom and dad. Uh, when we would leave, it was, it was uh, heart-wrenching because he would absolutely bawl when we would leave. And so it was just so hard to leave him and hear him just crying. Um, interestingly enough, he, he, we know who his mom is. She's still in Haiti. Um, haven't had contact with her here recently, but through the process, met her. Um, I think she was a little bit surprised um, that her son, who had a disability, was going to be adopted and be brought to America. Um, being an orphan in Haiti is kind of a unique experience in that they. Um, um, one of the things that you will hear when it comes to language is when uh, something is important to a culture, they have multiple words for that particular item. So like uh, Eskimos have multiple words for snow. You know, what you and I would describe as snow, they have like 12 different words for, uh, you know, again, to kind of point out America and our obsession with food, we have multiple words for pig. Um if you go to but not fish, it's just fish. Yeah, fish is just fish. But pig, we have pork, 
We have hams. We have, you know. Bacon. Yeah. It's, there's multiple, you know, boar, sow. We have many, many words for pig. Um, And I learned that from our Polish exchange student that stayed with us 10 years ago because they had like one word for pig. (laughs) Uh, Or if you, or if you're from a country like uh, Vietnam, where rice is an important part of your diet. There's a word for what rice is in the field. There's a word for what rice is when it's been processed. There's multiple words oh, for wow. rice. Yeah. We call rice, rice rice. Yeah. You know, you got white rice and brown rice and maybe wild rice mm. or something like that. Basmati. There. there are multiple words for, for orphan in Haiti. And there are things like you're orphaned because your parents are dead. You're orphaned because your parents don't want you. You're orphaned because your parents can't raise you right now, but they might want you later. You're orphaned because, yeah, exactly. So and you're so, like, not on top of the, you're not with your parents, you're then classified based on the situation around you not being with your parents. Right. Because there were orphans in the orphanage where, where Haiti, where in Haiti, where Wilby was, where there were kids that were quote unquote, not available for adoption. Because their parents hadn't relinquished their rights to them. They were just living at the orphanage. But they were living at the orphanage. And there was even a family that had like eight kids where, where like three or four of their kids lived at the orphanage and three or four of their kids lived at home. And all eight of the kids went to school at the orphanage. And the parents would regularly visit their kids in Haiti or at the orphanage um, and were very much involved in their kids' lives, but they could not afford to feed their kids and house their kids, so they left them at the orphanage. So that's another reason why I'm a little bit hesitant on the international adoptions, because in Haiti, to be an orphan just means my parents can't afford to raise me. It doesn't mean that they, don't, they want to put me up for adoption. And so mm-hmm. one of their options is to put you in an orphanage and then to visit you and to be involved in your life, but they can't afford to feed you or house you. And so that's, yeah. So anyway, there was, there was multiple words. And then there's also the word restavik, which anybody that's interested in being, uh, that wants to know more can look at this, but a restavik is basically a child slave. And yikes. Um, there are multiple books on that that I would encourage anybody. If you're interested in knowing about Restavik uh, in Haiti, you can Google it and you can find books of, you kind of become like an indentured servant, but you get all the really nasty jobs, like emptying the bedpans and mm-hmm. doing that kind of stuff. And we witnessed that as well, um, involving one of the extended family of the family that ran the orphanage. And that she had one, and I think the promise was is that he would do all these chores, live in her home, be fed, but ultimately she would pay for him to go to college. Whether that happens or not, and I use that term college loosely in terms of Haiti. Uh, it's more of like a trade school. Uh, but it's still, it really is kind of a, um, a step ahead if you're an orphan there. Mm-hmm. Man, so a lot of this um, you talking about will be is brings up a lot of emotions. I've never adopted, you know. But I've been to Ethiopia. Have you seen the movie Lion? Mm-hmm. Yep, we watched that. That's last another night. one that people need to watch. Oh my gosh! Yeah, like and I think it's on Netflix. It's on. Yeah, it's on Netflix. We watched yes. it last night, and I don't think my wife knew 
how heavy it was going to be. Like you, you see the previews and you read like, Oh, that sounds like a really heartwarming story. And you watch it. Oh my, I cried my eyes out. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you that aren't, we'll put the IMDB link in the show notes, which can be found at supermegacorp.net slash dad college slash Oh five. Um, it's a story of this really, 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 really poor Indian boy. And he follows his brother to the train station in the, in the bigger city to work at night. And his brother leaves him on the bench to sleep while he goes to work and says, don't move. He wakes up in the middle of the night, gets on a train for whatever reason, and winds up spending multiple days in an empty train going 1,600 kilometers to Calcutta before he gets off the train. Well, where he's from, they speak Hindi. In Calcutta, they speak Bengali. He doesn't know where he's from. He, doesn't, he knows the name of his town, but he doesn't know how to say it correctly. No one knows what he's talking about. So he winds up sleeping on the streets in the train station, escapes being kidnapped by some crazy, creepy adults, escapes being sex trafficked by an even more creepy adult, and then winds up in an orphanage, and then winds up getting adopted by this seemingly lovely couple from Tasmania which is an island off of Australia, grows up in Australia, goes to, you know, some, some course in Melbourne, finds these actual Indian kids. They drudge up all of this, you know, history, and he finally decides he has to find out where he's from. And so the rest of the movie is this journey of, of Saru trying to find out where his mom and his brother and his sister are and where he came from. And, oh, my gosh, it's... <laughs> I mean, and then, yeah, and you just get some really, it's, oh, it's so good. And it's so emotional. And it really shows you what, you know, adopting a child from a really, 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 really bad situation can do for that child and for the parents that do it. I mean, there are some really good conversations he has with his mother in the movie towards the end where you see, like, yeah, they saved Saru from being the lowest of the low in India, which is a thing there because of the caste system. Like you're stuck, you're stuck. Um, But also what it did for her and her husband to have him and his adopted brother um, in their lives and and them choosing not to have children, but to, because at one point Saru says, I'm sorry that you couldn't have kids. And she's like, is that what you thought? Like we chose not to have kids because we thought, the world has enough people. We want to make it better for those that are already in it. And which is like, that's a whole nother, like, <laughs> geez, that's heavy. But, um, so yeah. So as you were talking about, will be in, in the orphanage at Haiti. I was like running through that movie in my brain. Just like, man, you just, you know, you don't get to choose when, where, to who you're born. No, no, like, that is not a choice. And the fact that, you know, you and I were born white guys to middle-class families in the Middle West, yeah. the Middle West of the Midwest, uh, you know, at a time like this where it's, you know, pretty easy to be a white guy, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and, and, you know, will be to no fault of his own was born in a crappy place, in a crappy situation with a crappy physical condition. Mm-hmm. And you look at him, and the, I mean, he's not always happy because he's a hurt human. Right. But I mean, his smile just lights the room up. 
Yeah, best I mean, when he smiles, time, it, people. Do, I mean, he's he's a for no good reason. He's <laughs> a happy kid. Yeah, he's got every right to be angry. Absolutely, every right. Yep, and he's not. Nope. Um. So, anyways, that's just kind of that's like my emotional response to everything you just said. Which we don't really get into emotional responses on the master class. This is like new territory for us. <laughs> um, but yeah, just, I mean, just thinking about, um, thinking about how much someone's life can change because someone either chooses to adopt them or to foster them or to even just be a part of their life. If for, you know, if, if maybe, financially or uh, other reasons you can't adopt or foster, but you can be a big brother or a mentor or a tutor to someone who needs a positive male influence in their life. You just don't know how much that's going to affect them. You can never know. No. Until, you know, you see them as an, as an adult and, you know, even then you might not see the full picture, but you can see the changes that they've had. And, and here's what I, I know, Dave, you always say, you know, you can't wait till Wilby can do, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And, and they're usually pretty bold <laughs> statements just based on where he is. I mean, he's come a long way, but he still can't speak. And you're like, I can't wait till we can have a conversation. And I'm like, I can't wait till we talk to Wilby about his adoption process <laughs> on like episode 400 of this show. <laughs> and he can tell us in his own words what it was like you know, those two years and what it's been like since. Sure. Like, could you imagine just the, the world that would open up, um, to be able to hear him share his own story. Yeah. You know, and, and the cool thing is, is that a lot of kids that need to be adopted will be able to tell you that because they don't suffer from the same ailments that he does. Um, so, Thank you for sharing about Wilby and mm-hmm. the, the whole process because I know like it's it's a it is an ever present thing in your life, but I'm sure it's not the easiest thing to talk about, even though it's you know it's not necessarily fresh. It's been a couple of years since you've been through the process, but I'm sure it brings back a lot of memories and a lot of perhaps frustrations or sadness. Just like like leaving, I can't I can't even. Yeah, that was oh terrible. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Well, and that's, I, I guess that's one of the things I, I just real quickly just want to say is that uh, it has not been easy uh, bringing him into our family. Uh, it is not always fun. It is not always the great, you know, cheerful story. Um, well, I know one, our daughter, Olivia, who's our younger daughter, she's about 16. So she would have been 11 when Wilby got here. And, you know, nine or 10, when she kind of learned that he was coming, um, she has admitted after kind of a couple, like kind of a, um, an experience at camp of realizing how much resentment she holds towards him. And that's something I'm sure she's going to have to work through. I know she loves him. Don't regret doing it. Uh, I think it's something that she needs to process, but she does have resentment towards him and how he changed our family dynamics. Um, you know, whether a kid has a disability or not, uh, when you adopt a child, you're bringing in some baggage that you're going to have to deal with. 
And I, I will just tell you that I have absolutely lost my cool on a level uh, with Wilby that I never did with my girls. We have two daughters, biological daughters, one that's 20 and one that's 16. And um, it, it, it's not easy. I guess is that one of the things I just want people to hear is that uh, it's well worth it. Um, and I don't know where we'll go next, but I, I think there's a little bit of unpacking in terms of the foster care as well, uh, before we're done with this episode. Um, but you're buying in terms of adoption of foster care, you're willing to take on somebody else's problems. There's a reason generally why kids are in the foster care system, why they're being why they're available. I don't even know how to say that, why they're being adopted, why they're mm-hmm. in an orphanage, why they're, why they're an orphan. Um, they're generally not there because they're easy kids. So uh, I guess that's just without going into too much detail. I, I just want to say that it hasn't always been easy and it hasn't always been positive. And sometimes I feel like a real a-hole if I can use that. Um couple of S's left out there uh, in terms of just how I behave towards will be or my selfish side that just comes out of just not wanting to deal with some of the stuff that we just, we willingly chose to take on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, foster care is, is really kind of where we're headed next, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And I will admit before this, uh, uh, so my church and Dave's church and a few other churches, um, in the Kansas city area have really sort of started this like rallying call behind, um, what's known as care portal. And we'll have a link in the show notes and it's, it's in like 12 States, I think right now. And it's a, um, organization that seeks to try and provide, um, materials, food, money, um, for those in foster care and the social workers who generally go far above and beyond um, what they're required to do to provide these kids with a chance. And um, it's really cool. So if you go to careportal.org, you can check it out and see what I'm talking about. Um, and people will just post a need, and then the community can respond and take care of that need, whether it's, again, it's food, it's money, it's clothes, it's a mattress, it's, you know, a backpack for school, whatever um, the the need is. But uh, before, so like right now, my knowledge of the foster care system is still really limited. But before I found out about Care Portal and really what the situation is, I was completely oblivious. I had no idea how many kids I had no idea how bad it was. I had no idea other than the few episodes of law and order where they find the people (laughs) abusing the foster care system and making fake kids up to take the money or, you know, stashing a bunch of kids in one room and just, just really, really disgusting, nasty stuff. Um, I had no idea. I was completely oblivious. I don't think I went to school my entire life with anyone who was or had ever had been a foster kid. I grew up in a really, really nice part of Detroit. Um, I don't even think I went to school with anyone who was adopted. Oh, really? And that's not to say that that like makes you uh, a bad person, like, but just 
I grew up in a fairly affluent, well-to-do, uh-huh. um, rich part of Detroit. And that just wasn't the thing. Uh, there was certainly, you know, uh, racial diversity in the sense of, you know, Asian, um, Greek, Italian, Lebanese, but not a lot of black people, not a lot of Hispanic people, definitely mm-hmm. all upper middle class to upper class. Um, so it just wasn't something that I knew. And um, so kind of, you know, through your process with Wilby and going to Ethiopia and going to Mexico and uh, spending time in the inner city of Detroit um, as a high school and college kid and uh, learning more about, you know, and in, in living here in Kansas for the last seven years um, and, and learning more about, you know, what life in a trailer park is like or what life in the lower middle class. Like it just, it's, it's been opening my eyes to what the world is really like in, in more accurate ways than I knew growing up. So all that to say, um, I find the, the concept of fostering children like incredibly biblical and incredibly a good idea but the U.S. foster system scares the crap out of me. And I just, I don't really know how to reconcile those two thoughts. Like, I think that fostering children is obviously the right, good, God-honoring thing to do, is to provide these kids with a safe place to live and to be fed and to feel safe. But at the same time, in the foster system, you can have them for a week and then they're taken away from you because the parent has done what they need to do to get the kids back or they're getting moved to another home or they're getting split up from their siblings or it's just, it's, it's kind of terrifying when you learn about how that stuff actually happens, you know, which makes adoption seem a lot better because it's permanent. But at the same time, there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of kids in the foster system that aren't necessarily up for adoption because of the parent situation. And I don't know. That's kind of like my context for the, the foster care discussion. Yeah, and I would have to say that you probably have a fairly accurate uh, perception of the foster care in that um, it is incredibly rough. Um, as we've mentioned before, um, one of my, well, my, I, I am currently a police officer. Uh, so I see kids get put into the foster care system. I see kids um, bounce around from family to family. Um, I see kids who are very savvy at working the system and knowing how to get what they want. And so uh, I guess I would echo the sentiment of that being an adoptive parent is probably easier than being a foster parent. Um my wife and I are still considering being foster parents. We haven't pulled the trigger on that for the very reason that you're talking about of just um, having a kid get taken away from you would have to be devastating. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, you can lay down rules and have the way things are going to be in your household. And if a, chi- a kid um, is savvy to the system, 
um, they may not want to be at your house and they're going to push your buttons and they're going to break the rules so that they can move on to the next place. Um, if you um, go online and look at kids that are available to be in placement both in adoption and in the foster care, um, I can't believe these words are going to say it, come out of my mouth, but it's the honest truth, so I'll say it. They're not very appealing. I mean, I look at these kids, and I'm like, I don't want to bring that into my house. I don't want to deal with that issue. I don't want to deal with that problem. Um, as I mentioned earlier, these kids are there for a reason. Um, and generally, it's because of abuse, uh, poor parenting. It's because of criminal activity. It's because of drug use. Um, and I just, there are kids that I have had in my patrol car that I have taken to what we call juvenile intake and intake puts them into the system and then they go wherever somebody decides that they need to be. And there's just this element for me of, I'm just like, you don't ever have a chance. And I don't know if I was born into the situation that I see you in, in this moment that I would have a chance. I probably wouldn't have turned out very well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you've talked to our mutual law enforcement friend from FBC who works for the local sheriff's department. Yeah. Uh, I know he was a foster parent. And they wound up adopting. They right? wound up adopting. So that's, but it that's was, good. but it was touch and go. And like, it, I'm sure it was for not fun for time. them. No, no, no. Cause I mean, they adopted her and they love her and, and they know. spent days in court, I'm guessing, it, yeah, it sitting across a courtroom looking at their parents, basically telling, and it's a her, mm -hmm. telling her parents that you're not worthy parents, but we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was, I remember talking to him at church and, you know, he would just be in tears at the back of the sanctuary because they didn't know yeah. if she was going to be there. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it was brutal. And we've had friends that did the foster care, did adoption, and then the adoption didn't happen because the parents had suddenly met the requirements, which is generally holding down a job and having a place to live. Mm -hmm. Those are generally the minimum requirements. And don't get me wrong. I am I'm of the opinion, I think I've said this before in dad college, of that, you know, just dad being present, and especially a mom and dad being present in a child's life, just leaps and bounds gives a kid an advantage in life that if dad is not present, mom and dad. But again, it is just so tough when you know the situation that these kids are in and you know that the life that you can give them, um, it's hard. It is mm -hmm. truly just, it is just hard. And so, you know, as we talk about this topic, um, I am truly of the opinion that this is where uh, anybody that considers themselves a believer, um, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He died for my sins. I live my life for him. I'm a member of a church, and I want to do what God has called me to do. For me, personally, this is on the same level as the Great Commission. God is calling the church to take care of orphans and take care of kids in the foster system. And we are failing miserably. And I put myself in that same category of somebody that's adopted a kid from Haiti, of that there is certainly more that I can do. Again, this is not about earning our salvation. This is not about uh, works. 
Um, but I look at the things that I choose to spend money on. I look at how I choose to, 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 um, orient my life and how I choose to make myself comfortable. And there are certainly more things that my family as a whole should be doing to, to support, uh, the foster system in this country. And we, we, we are all failing. I, I, I truly am like, we are failing. We are not doing what we should be doing. Yeah, you, 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 like, you often hear it referred to as like, you know, a cycle, you know, and, and the foster care system just begets more foster kids. Because, it does. It does. You know, uh, and you just wonder like, you know, in, in a dream world, if if the church in this country decided we're going we're gonna to end it, what would happen? Probably wouldn't take that long. It wouldn't take much, no. It really wouldn't. Thirty years, maybe. Thirty years, and and again, I I am completely guilty. So when I'm pointing the finger at you as the listener, I'm pointing three back at myself of just the things that I choose to spend money on. I could easily provide for a kid in foster care. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and again, I I I get not everybody is called to have a kid in their home, a child in their home. I get that. But we certainly could be putting more resources towards. And did you give the webpage for that yeah, already? Careportal.org. Careportal.org. It is such a one of those things. And there are just like, and I've seen this firsthand, like I said, as a police officer, but diapers, if you could buy a package of diapers on a monthly basis and give that to your local foster care, um, and I don't, well, there are things that you can do that are very tangible, that are very minimal, that I think would help significantly uh, with those kinds of things. And I think they put very concrete needs, like there's a need yeah, for a it's crib, not just like, for clothing. Yeah, it's not just like for- a family's in trouble, we need help. It's like, we need one crib, three packs of diapers, and some baby, in like three pairs of baby pajamas. Or we need a boy's backpack and a girl's backpack for two 10-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Or we need a size eight shoe for a teenage boy because he doesn't have any. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very tangible, um, specific needs um that are put there or a lady needs $124 to pay her electric bill so she can, you know, keep her lights on and yeah. her electricity on. And we need to step up and do that. Yeah. So, and that's the other thing I just, you know, shout out to all the families that are doing this. I know there are families that um have far less resources than my wife and I and our family that have rooms that are wall-to-wall bunk beds meeting needs for these kids. And again, um, you got to do what, what, what God is putting on your heart. But I, I do believe that this is one of those places as people who say they love God, love Jesus and have an eye on eternity can really step up and make a difference. Agreed. Any, uh, any other thoughts? Um, I, w- I would just encourage anybody that happens upon this podcast to really uh, go before God and just say, um, what is a very real way, a very tangible way uh, that I can meet the physical needs, the emotional needs, the spiritual needs, 
um, because I, I'm guessing there are people that maybe financially aren't in the place or just because of, of your life dynamics, you're single, um, you're going through a divorce, you've got multiple children of your own that are still young. You're just not able to do this, but, um, you can certainly do something, and I do believe in prayer, and I think that goes a long way. And um, I guess I'm I, I'm a little bit surprised at how passionate I am about this. I didn't expect this on the front end of this podcast, but uh, like I said, I'm definitely opinionated, and um, uh, would encourage everybody to go before God and just say, what can I do to make a difference? Because I think this is one of those in our country, in America, um, where we can definitely have an impact and we can change things. And the church could be an example for the rest of the world of not needing government, not needing um, institutions to do something, but that the individual... Uh, in Christ can have a huge impact. So, hope that makes sense. I think it does. All right. <laughs> and I thank you for sharing your opinionated thoughts, Dave. <laughs> no problem. All right. Well, I think that wraps up episode five. Thanks so much for listening. Um, if you're still listening, I'll remind you of the link to the show notes at supermegacorp.net slash dadcollege slash zero five. You can find all the show notes there as well as link uh, to Dave's Twitter, David J. Hogue, mine, Cam Brennan. Our email address is hello at supermegacorp.net. And you'll also find a link to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash supermegacorp. If you like what we're doing and you want to support us with a dollar or two. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. If not, keep listening for free and that's a okay that's too. wonderful too but until next time we say bye-bye see you later